Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the Gospel reading, the first five verses of Matthew 18. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, questions, 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 they often re reveal way more than the questioner realizes. Why do I have to take out the trash? How can we get out of the uh, Christmas family party this year? What in the world was that guy thinking when he did this? How can I get even, pay that person back for what he did to me? Lurking beneath the surface of such questions is thinking that has gone awry, amiss, astray. As Jesus told Peter in last week's Gospel reading, Matthew 16, 23, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's really the theme for today's Gospel reading. The disciples, they ask Jesus a question concerning greatness. And that question reveals their desire to soar as somebodies over the nobodies. Jesus, uh, up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, has predicted his Holy Week, not once, but, uh, but twice. Boys, Jerusalem, ground zero, for where I will be convicted and killed, bound and buried, raised and rescued, no human tragedy, a divine necessity. This is a must. M-U-S-T, must. What's going through the disciples' minds when they hear Jesus predict his passion? Well, we actually know, because after the second passion prediction, Matthew jots down these words, Matthew 17, 23, and they were greatly distressed. Uh, do you blame them? Do you really blame them? I mean, it appears as though Jesus is going to Nowhereville. A dead end, literally. It doesn't look good at all. And I think if we were in the flippy floppies of the disciples, we too would be greatly distressed and perplexed. We would. I mean, here's this guy that we're following. You know, we left everything. We're following this guy. And all he keeps talking about is getting himself pinned on pine. Nailed to wood. Yikes! I mean, crucifixion, that is an instrument of utter horror and shame, and it dehumanizes. It strips a person of all dignity, worth, value, and it erases the person from the history books, a nameless nobody. Talk about cancel culture on steroids. Jesus, we didn't sign up for this. <laughs> See, the disciples, they, uh, they, they want congratulation, not cancellation. They want to be praised, not punished. They want to be lifted up, not let down. They want to be winners, not losers. They want to be somebodies, not nobodies. And they really convey their concerns with Jesus, with their question, don't they? Matthew 18, 1. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, <clears throat> sorry to bother you, Rabbi, uh, but, but who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They want qualifications for greatness. You know why? So they can uh, split and soar. Split from the nobodies so that they can soar as somebodies. No surprise, is it? We've all had the same thoughts. Who is the greatest? We've, we've, we've had that question, I think, uh, come in and out of our minds, right? Yeah, I think so, I think so. If you don't believe me, just think how often we play the comparison game. The comparison game, the comparison game, the comparison game. We're going after greatness every single time we compare, well, status, stuff, strength, so that we can soar as somebodies over the nobodies. See, we have all been infected by a bug. The greatness bug. We've all had those times where we run a temp, so delusional and delirious, just like the disciples here in our text. After all, we all are conceived and born testing positive with this greatness bug. And that has been the case ever since Genesis chapter 3, when the slithery serpent Satan sank his fangs into our humanity, pumping us full of that poisonous, prideful, attitude of I want to be somebody. And so then we go on that search to be somebody. And one way we go about that search is by comparing our status, our stuff, our strength. Status. Status. I have uh, more popularity. More Friends, more promotions, more accolades, more common sense, more A's on my report card, more education, more letters behind my name, stuff. I have, well, a better house, better finances, better portfolio, better retirement nest egg, Better collection of toys. Strength. Well, I, uh, I make a bigger impact. I have a bigger influence. I have a bigger pull on people. I have a bigger grip, handle on life. You know what the comparison game does? The comparison game just puffs us up. It puts distance between me and you, and it elevates me over you so that I can look down on you and think, I'm a somebody, and you are a nobody. Now, we may not put it in those terms, but that's greatness in the thinking of sin-sick mankind. The greatest are those who achieve Accomplish. Oh yeah, and by the way, arrive, right? They, they have arrived. Those are the greatest. And what does Jesus do? In the midst of all this worldly thinking, 
does he do? Matthew 18, 2. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. Now, our notion of greatness is blasted to smithereens. When Jesus puts forth a child who's a nobody, no status, no stuff, no strength, and he puts that child forth as the poster child of greatness in God's kingdom. Now, in today's world, in today's world, youth is idolized. But, you know, that, that, is, that, that is rather new. That, that, that is new in the last hundred years. Childhood, for most of human history, was seen as a drain and a pain on family resources. Come on, this kid can't grow up fast enough to chip in and contribute. So unable and needy, so weak and wimpy, so defenseless, so helpless. So help us. Uh, not much has changed, though, right? I mean, kids are still helpless. Exactly. exactly. Good timing. Good timing. I like that. Kids are still... Oh, okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. There we go. Kids are still helpless. No child can survive without someone caring for him or her, burping them, feeding them, holding them, kissing them, changing them. Marty Luther, he gets pretty graphic about this in the large catechism, where he, uh, he says, if it weren't for our parents, we would have died in our own filth and feces. <laughs> That's just being honest. It's the truth. It's a fact of life. Dependence! That's what kiddos are. Dependence. And here's where the IRS gets something right, you know? <laughs> Dependence! And you know what Jesus does? He says that that's what greatness looks like. If Jesus were to put a billboard on US 10 with the words, the world's greatest, he would have a diapered baby underneath those words. And Jesus says, that's what we are to become. He says that right, in our, right here in our text in verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we have to wear diapers, okay? That's not what he's saying, okay? <laughs> Just like, gotta be crystal clear here. What Jesus is talking about is the condition of children. Their helplessness. Their weakness. Their neediness. He calls us to become that. Helpless, weak, needy. It's what we already are, folks. And uh, a few moments ago, you actually confessed this, whether you realize it or not. When you and I confess these words, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. 
With those words, we turned away from our pride. We turned away from our selfishness and greediness. We turned away from our our comparison game. We turned away from that desire, that destructive, divisive, dehumanizing desire to be somebody. And we turned to, 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 to Jesus. You know me, I actually expect responses, you know. Yeah, I know. I do. I do. I know. That's not, that's not old school, but there we go. Okay. We just, we're honest with ourselves. We just tell it like it is. That's what confession is. We are saying what God has already told us, that we are nobodies. In the eyes of the law of God, the Holy Ten Commands, we are nobodies who need Jesus, and we need his status, his stuff, his strength. We're dependent on him. And that's, that's good. That's right. You can't be dependent on anyone better than Jesus. Because nobodies are not nobodies to him. They're actually the greatest. And he shows nobodies how great they are to him by doing the unthinkable. By doing that which the world deems foolish and utter stupidity, he dies for nobodies. He dies for you, for me, everybody. Jesus, who alone can claim being a somebody, he alone can claim that. And yet, look at Jesus. He doesn't soar above the nobodies, but rather he serves. He serves them by dying. Dying. As a nobody, to make nobodies somebodies. His somebodies. Now, Jesus, he has the saddest, he has the stuff, he has the strength that rises above everyone and everything. He is the somebody, all right. And look what he does. Look what he does. Pastor Paul, I think, really sums it up beautifully in Philippians 2, where uh, Pastor Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, a nobody. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus takes the lowest spot. He's the greatest nobody in the history of the world. I mean, he hits rock bottom on the cross. Loaded with our sin. Loaded with our greed and pride. Loaded with all the times that we played that divisive, dehumanizing, destructive comparison game. He's loaded with the enchilada of the world's sin, and then he dies. He dies the death we nobodies deserve to die. He does the time for our crime. Yeah, Jesus, he dies. He dies. And shows what greatness really looks like. And that's service. Serving the weak, serving the needy, serving the helpless. 
This is Messiah's mission. This is what Jesus comes to do. And he spells this out beautifully in Matthew chapter 20, where, where he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. His blood is enough. His blood helps painful our hellacious sin debt. His blood satisfies the need for any more sacrifices. The Lamb. The Lamb. One perfect final offering. His blood is strong to save. And we know this because the Father vindicates His Son. He raises His Son on the third day. He exalts His Son. And He gives His Son the name that is, that is above every name. Lord. Lord. Now, He had that name from eternity. But now that name is given to His flesh. Placed right on His flesh. And that's good news, dear friends, because that means that that divine name can be placed on our flesh. And it has been in the waters of holy baptism, giving us quite the status, quite the stuff, quite the strength. Yes, status. We are no longer nobodies. We are God's somebodies. And you sang that beautifully before the sermon. God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. He, because I could not pay it, gave the full redemption price. Dear friends, we are now living it up in the Father's house as his beloved somebodies, his children, his sons, his daughters, and in his home we lack absolutely nothing, not a zilch, zero. He shares all of his stuff with us. Un limited love and mercy and grace, unconditional forgiveness, unending acceptance and favor. He gives us all of that. How rich we are. And we are strong in the Lord. Jesus strong. The very strength that we see play out in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus is now given to you and to me. And this strength is not meant to be used for soaring high, but rather serving here below. The kingdom of God is lived on the ground. Not way up there, way down here, in the muck and the yuck in the messiness and the messed upness, in the poverty and the pain. So stop trying to fly above everyone else. Just quit that. You don't have to do that anymore. You're already a somebody in the heart of your Father who art in heaven. Yeah, you're his somebody, his beloved child. What more could we possibly want? We are and have enough to live according to God's definition of greatness. We don't have to go and make a name for ourselves. We have already been given a name with three splashes of promise at the font. And so now let's, let's, let's bear that name proudly, boldly, joyfully. How so, Pastor Aaron? Well, here's how we're going to do it, okay? Let's live 
not soaring above, but rather serving here below in love, loving the very people the world deems nobodies because they are the greatest to Jesus. And now they are the greatest to you and me here at GLC. No more comparison game. Let's make compassion our aim. Jesus calls us to this, Matthew 18, 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now the world sees those who are battling depression and mental illness. The world sees those who are grieving and in so much pain. The world sees the aging, the suffering, the handicapped. The world sees those who are struggling with temptation and fear and addiction. The world sees those who are beaten up, crushed by this life's crises. The world sees those who are lonely and lost. The world sees the new Christian who has so much more to learn. The world sees those who are heartbroken, hurting, wounded. And the world says, nobody's, 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 nobody's. We don't. These are the greatest. According to God's way of thinking, they are full of dignity, value, worth. So GLC. Let's make that clear to them. Let's encourage them. Let's serve them on bended knee. To show them how much they mean to God and mean to every, every one of us here at GLC. Let's serve them. And when we do, we not only welcome them with open arms, we also welcome Jesus. Who says, now this, this is greatness. Who is the greatest? Dear friends, it's not even a question anymore. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.